Welcome everybody to Catfish Weekly presented by Whiskerware Apparel. Uh, Chuck Davison's internet is out, so he's not going to be joining the show tonight. If it uh, if it happens to get fixed, he will jump in with us. In the meantime, our good friend Doc Lang has agreed to step in and help us out with the show tonight. How's it going, Doc? Pretty good. Had a few storms here in Ohio today. Uh, hopefully they don't come back. <laughs> Pretty severe, were they? Yeah, knocked the power out for a little bit. Oh man, don't need any of that. But, uh, we just we just don't need it. Uh, them bad storms and stuff is they're not good for anybody. I know that we all need some rain and different things, but uh, yeah, it's not uh, the, the, the storms and stuff. We don't we don't need any of that bad weather. You and Lynn been out fishing at all? No, I'm gonna try to go tomorrow. Well, I'll be on one of the local lakes. I hope that works out good for you. Doc, yep. tonight we have a couple of grad students from Western Illinois University that have been doing, I know of, for the last couple of years, some studies. And if, if I get this right, I'm sure Ashley can correct me. It's called Stable Isotope Analysis. Is that right, Ashley? Okay. Yep, that's, right. that's good for me because I didn't think I'd get that right. <laughs> but... These these ladies, and there was some guys last year, they come to the Twisted Cat Outdoor Tournaments and I'm sure other tournaments, and they take samples of these fish to determine what they eat throughout their life cycle. Is that correct? Yep. Okay. Uh, Ashley Stanley and Katie Maynard, is that right? Yep, that's right. Oh, good. I'm a two for two. Boy, here. <laughs> <laughs> Ashley, can can you explain what your how you guys got involved in these studies and what they pertain to and, and how it affects the catfishing industry to us? Well, I got started. I um, in my undergrad, I took a few fisheries classes and I really liked it. So I was a technician with the Illinois Natural History Survey for two years, and with that, you do a lot of like the hard work, but you don't get to do the biology side of stuff. So I decided I wanted to be more of a biologist that gets to make decisions and do projects and stuff. So I decided I contacted Jim Lamer and he gave me a position to do graduate research here. And since then, I've been doing the diet study on the blue and black catfish. Um, previously, before that, Tad Locker he did a study where he did gastric lavage, where it's basically removing the diet content annually. So he did find out that they are eating silver carp, so that was pretty exciting. But the big problem with like traditional diet studies where you just remove the stomach content, contents completely is that frequently catfish, um, they just go without eating. I mean, you guys probably know that when they're spawning, they don't eat a whole lot. So you have a lot of time frame where you uh, don't get any data. So when you use stable isotope analysis, you can get information anytime. Um, and you're looking at two stable isotopes. They're carbon-13 and nitrogen-15. And you look at the ratios, and you can tell you know, what, basically what they've been eating in comparison to known stable isotopes. Like, if you have a gizzard chat, you can see what stable isotopes it has. You can compare it to what is in the muscle tissue of the catfish. So yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. Um, we don't have all of our information yet. But once we do, it'll be pretty important because we can, you know, do what they're eating and if any 
management issues come up, we can use that to manage for food they need to eat. So that's, that's, well, that's where we're at right now. That's amazing. I actually looked at a um, link today that was sent to me from the Michigan State University Extension where they have done this study, and I understand that that is the studies that you guys are involved with. Is that correct? Uh, you know, that's a really good article, and, and uh, I assume that you know this Corey Anderson? Yes. Um, this, this was really a good, well-written article about how that, uh, you know, what it, what it brings to my attention is the fact that uh, bluegill and flathead catfish are probably the only, uh, well, well I'm not, let, me, let me start again, that catfish in general are the best uh, natural resource we have to work on uh, keeping the um, Asian carp in check. Yep. Uh, uh, they're the only native species that are big enough to eat the adults, really. Right. Even even though that that uh, bass and and other smaller fish will eat them, they grow so fast that they can't they can't uh, eat enough of them to make a difference. Where blue catfish and flathead. When they're growing to be over a hundred pounds, they can really uh, make a difference in the harvest of uh, of these uh, uh, Asian carp species. Yep. Now, is there any way to know how many or how much of their diet consists of Asian carp? Well, the um, the study that Tad did, he actually took out their stomach contents manually, so you could see. Um, Based on like structures that don't get digested as quickly, you could see that like if there's one or two Asian carp in the stomach. With my project, um, you'll just see if they have been, and um, if they've been eating enough that it's showing up in their muscle tissue samples, then they are eating quite a bit. So. And and what have you determined uh, at this point that that uh, is it making a big difference in those? In their in their in their muscle stuff, is, is there enough? Uh, are they eating enough Asian carp that you can tell it by your test? That's um, one thing that we're kind of waiting on. We're collaborating with uh, Southern Illinois University because they have a little a little more chemistry equipment than us. So we're just we're still waiting on them to get back to us with the results. Okay. Okay. You know, if you get those results, if you wouldn't mind, I'd appreciate it if you would send them to me or or let me know, explain it to me how I can understand it and pass that information along to our viewers. Because you know, for years and years, uh, a lot of fishermen, uh, under the assumption that Asian carp was good quality bait to catch blues and flatheads and channel cats, but mainly in the hot weather. And now I. I am learning that they eat them pretty much year-round. Is that not correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, with, with with those Asian carp being like they are now, and one thing that aggravates me, everybody's so up in the air about, oh, the Asian carp are going to get in the Great Lakes. Well, where was those people that were so worried about it when they got into the Mississippi River system? I mean, that affects yeah. a, a huge part of, the, of our... Of the United States, every every major river flows into the to the to the Mississippi River in the central United States. So why wasn't they so concerned then? Uh, I, I never have understood that. But the fact remains that it's going to be nearly impossible, if not impossible, 
to rid the waterways of them now. So why would these uh, Missouri Department of Conservation and all the other conservation departments not be on board to jump in and get these regulations for these 32-inch rules in effect because it's the only natural defense we've got against these invasive species. Yeah, I guess basically it would be funding. And I, I mean, um, more like talk about Illinois. Yeah, I mean, I think basically a lot of stuff that happens is like being proactive versus um, reacting after something happens, which is a lot of stuff. Because <laughs> they, they started out in the, uh, is it Arkansas? Yeah, well, they escaped the aquaculture mm -hmm. lake. And, you know, I, they probably just didn't expect them to expand as quickly as they did. Yeah, I think they didn't really actually know their yeah. reproductive, like how they would fare in our waters as far as yeah. the waters in China. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, <laughs> well, but they weren't sure how our, our climate system would be compared to the one in yeah. China. So they didn't really expect them to explode, the populations to explode as much as they yeah. have. But they have. Warmer temperatures too. Yeah. Oh yeah. And they in China, they, they overfish theirs too, so mm -hmm. they don't have a huge population. Really? Maybe. Yeah. I, I'm a I'm a I'm a believer in you know. There's a market for these things. If they can catch them and send them over their seas to let them people eat them, or I also understand that they're good eating, and people here in the United States will eat them if they're. Uh, packaged and, and presented in a in a way that people are interested in them because they're nothing but white meat. That's great, yeah. They're low in mercury because of their uh, diet. They, you know, they only eat zooplankton, so they're pretty good for you. Yeah, I would have to think they'd probably be better than most other fish that that we already are yeah. eating. So, uh, yeah. you know, it's yeah, to me do that's. Not eat trash. There's a lot of people. Have, for some reason, there's a rumor around that the Asian yeah. carp like to eat. Crash, they really don't. They just eat the Yep. Now, now, no, no. is you guys don't do any kind of study that would determine how much effect Asian carp have on, say, the shad basis in a lot of these waters, do you? Oh, she didn't. I don't know right now. Yeah. Okay. There's anything well, that I'm really familiar with. Okay, from from a fisherman's point of view, uh, it seems to me like the more uh, Asian carp population we have, the harder it is to find shad. And it used to be you could go out and in two or three places and throw your net a couple of times, you get all the bait you want. Now uh, you throw all day to try to search and find enough to fish with. And I I believe personally that that the numbers of Asian carp have, have cut down the numbers of shad population that we once had. Yeah, they actually do their diets, they overlap both shatter filter feeders as well, so um, there could definitely be some yeah. competition there, but I don't know. I, don't think, I think they found, uh, Kevin Irons, he used to work in Havana, Illinois, and uh -huh. I think he did find something, but I'm not positive. Okay, okay, good. If there uh, is anything, we don't know of anything that's been Officially published yeah. <laughs> okay, okay. Doc, have you got some questions for the ladies? Sure. Okay. Okay, so you mentioned you're uh, doing a diet study. Is that what it is? Did they hear me? Ashley, can oh, you hear me? Oh, okay. You're doing a diet study on these fish? 
Okay, so what are they eating? What are they eating? Can you still hear us? Yes. Okay. <laughs> you guys look like you're cutting out a little bit. Sorry about that. Oh, that's um, a lack, sir. Doc wants to know what what your studies determine that the Asian carp or the the catfish are eating for regular diet. Um. Yeah, they eat like anything. Um, and, like we ha we've had a few other diet studies that have included all types of catfish, and they've ha found a lot of like bugs, either shad, um, freshwater drum. They'll eat bluegill too. Mm -hmm. um, not a whole lot of uh, white and striped basses, but we're really waiting to see what Ashley's study yeah. is going to tell us. Because don't your doesn't your study have other fish yeah. species included? In oh, it? they I have heard that they eat a lot of um, the zebra mussels. So that's really awesome too. <laughs> oh, zebra mussels. Yeah, another yeah. invasive species they eat. So they're really great for just getting all of yeah a few of these invasive species. The numbers down on them. Yeah. Huh. Um, so, are you studying all three catfish species? The blue, the flathead? I'm studying the blues and the flatheads because okay. um, we're looking at them preying on adults, and usually the channels don't get big enough to eat okay. silver. On river systems or lakes? On rivers, in the, actually, on the Mississippi River. So. On the Mississippi River. Excellent. Yep. Okay. Uh, that's all I got, Lyle. I don't know. I can't see the chat. What's if anybody's asking anything? I know. I have. I've been kind of watching it. I haven't got any uh, anything uh, up there. Everybody's want to know where Chuck is at. How long have you? Has these studies been in uh, progress with your uh, uh, Western Illinois University? Oh, our advisor went here for his our advisor actually went here for his master's, his master's degree. degree. Yeah. And then I know he's been here since I don't know. I don't know. I, what I can what I can tell you is that our advisor, Jim Lamer, he kind of took over the fisheries department here. Mm -hmm. So the past three years for sure he's done a lot of research with all the graduate students basically Almost all of his stuff is dealing with the invasion of the Asian carp and trying to see what we can do to learn about them and how prevention methods. Yeah. Now, you guys are, I'm sure, are quite familiar with those Asian carps because a lot of your studies has to do with that. Um, how many times do they reproduce a year? They can reproduce multiple times a year, um, one or two usually. Okay, I have like millions of eggs. So. Yeah, they're 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 like rabbits. They're really prolific. The thing, the question that I'm, or the point that I'm trying to get to here is, if they reproduce two, three, four times a year, how many ever it is, and they do millions of eggs at a whack. Every female that that produces these, they they have a high percentage of of. Unlike catfish, has a small percentage of survival rate. They have a huge survival rate. So. My question is, how how uh, long does it take before the fish uh, are born till the time they're actually too big for even blue catfish to to be able to eat them and digest them? Um, yeah, like the biggest 
that we know that big cats or big cat have been eating is three years old. Um, I'm not They're sure any older. They grow very, very fast. Yeah. But I know Tab Walker's study, the fish diets that he looked at, they found fish in the three to four age range. So I believe what, up to around 400 millimeters, I believe. So how many, what would that be like in poundage? Thirty pounds. Thirty pounds. Yeah. For if you're talking about one of your big blue catfish, yeah, predating um, on them, it really just depends on the size of your catfish. Yeah, because they're um, a lot of it's based on gape size, because so you know how big they can open their mouth. Uh huh. Um, you know that seventy-seven pounder we saw last week. Mm -hmm. He had a pretty big mouth, and so he could get pretty much any. <laughs> That's a great fish. It's a good picture with you guys holding that fish. That was a giant. Uh, you know, uh, there wasn't a lot of teams that actually caught a bunch of fish in that tournament, but there was the fish that was caught were quality fish. They was really nice. <laughs> but uh, you know, I I know you guys set up your um, uh, your water tank that you put these fish in, is it set up with oxygen for those fish to keep them going? Yep. I, I knew that it was. Um, now, how many of you, how many of you ladies was down there last weekend to that, to the Twisted Cat uh, tournament when you all was doing these studies? There was four of us. Um, three, uh, us two, and then another grad student, and then we had one uh, honors undergraduate student. And this program will go on for years to come, I'm hoping. Yeah, we hope so. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great study. Now, do you pass this information that you learn on to the Illinois uh, uh, DNR or the Missouri Department of Conservation or anything like that? Yep. Um, yeah, we'll have um, publications about it. Uh, we also present three times a year our information. Um, the Mississippi River Research Consortium, Illinois American Fishery Society, and the National ASS Society, and then I guess that's for the Midwest Fish and Wildlife. So a lot of people from different areas of the government. And so most of the experts in the field will hear the results yeah. of our research, and then hopefully through them it'll dispatch throughout the public. <laughs> Well, that's, that's awesome that you guys are doing this, and, and, and to be quite honest, I'm really impressed that you little ladies go down there and, and you'll grab them old fish and hug them just like one of those guys that's out there catching them do, and, and you take really good care of them and you make sure that they're released back into the waters unharmed, and, and uh, it's, it's a great thing that you do. Um, yeah, we love it. Yeah, <laughs> and you, you have to. I mean, it's like catfishing. Yeah. You, you have to love it or you wouldn't do it, you know. Uh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out. Scott Woody has sent a message in on chat, and since the Asian carp have shown up, does the size of the flats and blue sea do have gone up or down or been about the same? Ooh, I don't know. I don't think anybody's done extensive research on that yet. I mean, it's really unfortunate that all of these scientists and biologists are are kind of doing this too late. Mm -hmm. That always seems to be how it goes. Yeah, I mean, so it's like people think it's not a big deal, and then when it is a big deal, is when people start to actually want to fund it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, there's a possibility 
with that that they could have their sizes could have gone down um, because when fish are little they all feed on zooplankton so there is a competition when they're when they're larval fish with the silver carp so it's possible but we don't know well my theory is as many of them as there is and as readily available as there is I would have to think that it would help the growth rate of catfish because it has now become a natural um, uh, food source for them where uh, with with Asian and big they don't have to go really go look for them they're everywhere and, and uh, shad and, and uh, skipjack and stuff like that certain times of the year they're in certain areas and other times they're elusive and hard to get and uh, bluegill is is not as populated in most of the rivers as people think they are so they can if, if they want to eat they can just go find the amazing carp which to me that that's telling me that I could be able to use those fish for bait any time of the year because it's always been a uh, theory of mine that the hotter the weather, the better it worked, and that in the wintertime you should be using shad for bait, in the summertime you should be using skipjack or moon eye or something like that. Uh, but with them becoming a natural food source at this point in our water systems, we should be able to get the Asian carp, which is readily available, and use them for bait and fish any time of the year that you want to. Yeah. Absolutely. That is definitely an accurate statement. Well, Especially since they're invasive, you can take as many as you want for bait. So. Exactly. So you, if, if you run out of bait now, it's your own fault. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Now, do either one of you two girls do any fishing at all, or you just do your studies? Uh, I fish a little bit. I'm not very successful, so <laughs> it's nice to see some success and <laughs> see some big catfish. So. Well... You know, it, like I say, it amazes me. You guys do such a great job with this, and I've been following. I've been trying to get you guys on here for what a year and a half or so. It's it was sometime. Well, maybe it's about a year ago. I, you know, I approached Ashley about doing this, and 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 I understand that she kind of wanted to wait to get some some um, uh, results back, but. You know, people want to know about these studies, and they want to know who's doing them. And, and when, when you girls are coming up uh, and, and doing these studies and people are seeing what you're doing, and we look at, at the conservation departments in all these states that are sitting here and doing nothing, uh, and you guys are getting it done where they, they don't have any interest in it. There, there's no reason for that. You know, uh, if we can import elk, where we haven't had none for 200 years into the state that's so heavily populated with automobiles and people and shouldn't even have them, then we can we can protect our catfish that we have, and there's no reason not to yeah. do that. But the, the fact of the matter is that these Asian carp is never going to leave. I, I don't believe that they'll ever be able to rid the waters from them, so let's learn from them so we can be more productive with our catfish. Yeah, it's pretty much... Our best bet is management, like trying to keep as much out of the water as possible and keep them from competing with the native fish. So, um, if people like to eat them, definitely eat, them. eat those. Yep. I want to share fun. something. They're actually really good. Yeah. And do you all have ate them? Yep. Yeah. Yep. They're really good, actually. 
They really are. And I've got to try them. I, I just have to. You know, my I have a brother-in-law that used to take some to the locker plant at, up, up north of Missouri, and, and he would have them smoked, and he told me the same thing. He said they're great table fare, and uh, after catching them and had them nasty things in the boat, I just never would do it, but I'm going to have to try them. Uh, yeah. To tell you the truth, <laughs> their eyes are in the bottom of the head, and they ain't supposed to be there, and they got such a terrible smell. You know, they they get the, they touch anything in the boat, they they bleed really bad. They just make a mess out of everything. I have I have a yeah. Well, hey, that's that's good. Uh, Jason Huggins sent me a message in the chat, and he says, "If I had a porterhouse steak in front of you and a hot dog, which one was you going to choose?" Well, it's kind of a no-brainer, and I and I believe that he's referring to the the fact that you can have a little bitty piece of shad or a great big Asian carp. Which, if you was a catfish, which one would you eat? You know, and uh, I, I understand that, so that's a good point, Jason. But uh, you know, I I don't know how to get other people involved in in what you're doing. Uh, how many colleges are you guys aware of that are doing these type of studies? Um, yeah, a few others. I know Eastern Illinois University is doing some studies. Southern, yeah, Southern Illinois. Um, so that's two, two for sure. Yeah. Now, are these on different waterways other than the Mississippi River? Um, Eastern is on the Wabash, and then the Southern does most of theirs either on the Ohio or the Mississippi. But um, Southern really does it more on the like the, the what do you call it? The free flowing part after 26. You lost. The cool part of it. <laughs> oh, oh, okay, okay. Where, where the where there's no dams. Yes. Okay. So I, that's below Alton, or below the yeah. the, uh, the whatever it is where they lock the barges through there. Uh, is the Alton Dam? I always considered it the last the last dam on the river, but actually it's not because the chain of rocks they made the canal around there where you have to walk through the canal now instead of going over the chain of rocks. So I never have understood why they didn't just take that out, but that's not up to me either. You know, uh, Jason Huggins said that. Uh, last year at the St. Louis Boat Show, the Missouri Department of Conservation had Asian carp and had them fried up, and she said they was really good. They just cut the back straps out and, and basically made food out of them. Good. Yeah, that is good. And he also added that he heard the Missouri University is trying to get an Asian carp on the school menu at one point, which I had heard that, and I also... I also heard that they was at one time looking into trying to figure out how to either make dog food or cat food out of the Asian carp, and that never did get off the ground either, as far as I know. But uh, any yeah. any uh, venue that they can get uh, to make it worthwhile for guys, you know, commercial fishermen, everybody thinks that we're all against commercial fishermen, and we're not. Uh, because there's a place for commercial fishermen, and, and these Asian carp, if they can make a living at getting them, maybe they'll leave the trophy catfish alone or the breeding size catfish because yeah. uh, yeah. exactly, you know, that that's something that, that they really need to to look into because you know these Asian carps are a, a nuisance. They're dangerous to guys going up and down the river in boats, uh, and, and like I say, the only the only uh, Thing that we have going as far as a natural defense against them is blue and flathead catfish. 
So, uh, you know, we're really proud of you girls for doing all this work. You know, and one of the things that, you know, when we go to the, the Twisted Cat tournaments, and I know that you guys do for other tournaments too, but, you know, I always try to come up and visit with you because it's neat that, that you guys are doing these studies. And I would love to see uh, the results when you guys start getting some of them back. I don't know if you're allowed to release them to people or to the public or whatever, but anything that you could share with me, I will pass on. Uh, to our viewers so that they can read it and and be aware of what's going on and you never know it might work into something where they could help the, your university or your studies or your programs or something and, and that's what we need to do is try to get this stuff uh, uh, populated where people are interested in making sure it's it's happening that's true. I had a, a message results revealed <laughs> Yeah, that would be awesome. Yeah, that would be great. We would love to share them. Uh, Carl Garner sent me a message on Facebook. says he's tried Asian carp, and they're very good. Uh, he said if you look on YouTube, you can find out how to clean them and process them. That's, that's good information, Carl. Thank you. Um, I didn't never even thought about looking up YouTube videos for Asian carp, so uh, that I will have to check into that. But, you know, that's that's really great. Um, so what, what are you ladies going to do when you, uh, been, this is your last year of college, what do you, what's your uh, outlook for the future uh, with your lives? I'm hoping to get a job, I still, I really like working on the big rivers, like the Mississippi River, so I'm hoping to get a job as a biologist, uh, hopefully on the Mississippi River or somewhere else, somewhere That'd be great. I would love to see you come to Missouri and work for the MDC. Uh, this would just be great. And I know Illinois has programs like that too. But uh, from seeing what what you do and and your passion for doing it, uh, I think you would be an asset to any program. What, Katie? What what is it that that you have looking forward into your future? Oh, well, I'm probably going to go on a very similar route as Ashley. My project is uh, about snapping turtles, so I could either go into the fisheries world or the wildlife world. So I'm, any opportunities that come my way are, are welcome at this point. I understand. I understand. Definitely a biologist of some sort. That's, that's, that's great. We, there's no way that we can... As fishermen can thank you girls for everything that you do. And it's not just you two. I know there's others involved in what you do. And uh, But I've, I've met Ashley, you know, however long ago it's been, and, and we've visited several times. And, and it just, what you guys do it is so important to cat fishermen. And, and I'm sure that nobody ever tells you that. But it, everybody that knows about the studies that you do realize how important what you're doing is. Uh, and... and Knowing that these these guys are eating these fish uh, from the time that they're big enough to digest a, a, an Asian carp or whatever species it is, uh, and following that up until they're 60, 80, 90, 100 pounds or whatever it is, uh, the bigger they are, the more they have to eat at one time. And, and I understand they don't have to eat every day or two or three times a day like like we do. But if they go out there and they knock down a 10 pound Asian carp, that's one less we got to deal with every time we yeah, take right. a boat up the river. Like the <laughs> Now, how big of a Asian carp are you guys uh, aware of that's been uh, caught or bounced in somebody's boat or something in our area? 
same. You know, we got a 40 pound the other day, but I think we've seen like 50 pounds. 50 you know? pounds is the biggest I've seen yeah. personally. Those are, those are giant. That's a lot of cut bait, Doc. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you you and I could get a couple of them. We'd be good for a two or three tournaments, wouldn't we? Yeah. <laughs> so I had a I had a thirty pounder fly into the boat, hit me in the back, you know, when I was on the Mississippi net. I don't want no more part of that. Yeah. Uh, we we I'll tell you a quick little story here. I know the girls have probably got stuff to do, but uh, here a few years ago I was looking for uh tournament spots uh, on the Mississippi River above St. Louis there, probably 80 miles, and um, I had just had a tooth pulled the day before, and we was in my brother's boat, and out of the corner of my eye, I seen this carp jump, and I leaned back, and it hit him in the face, and it bent his glasses and mashed his nose. He said, man, you didn't have to move like that. I said, well, I, it was going to hit me right where I had that tooth pulled. I'm going to sit there and take it. I'll let you fight it. <laughs> Whacked him through. It was probably 18, 20 pounder. I mean, it hit him hard too. <laughs> but you know, they are dangerous. They, people people know that they're dangerous and, and don't realize how dangerous they really are. Well, pretty big, like softball size bruises from those guys. You know, they are. Like you're really the pastor in the boat. Yeah, you look around. Have you girls ever been over on the Illinois River? Yes. Do you do your studies I over there? I used to work on the Illinois River. I see. Uh, that's the only place I, you know, if, if we if we put our boat in the water uh, at Alton or uh, Louisiana, Clarksville, some of those places, when you go up the river, the fish are normally jumping up behind the boat. Yep. Uh, on the Illinois River, they jump up in front of it, beside it, uh, behind it. They jump over the boat. They jump in the boat. Uh, yeah. I never see anything like that. They'll actually, them big ones will hit the boat. If you're running wide open, they'll hit the bottom of the boat so hard it'll actually turn it in the water with you going wide open. Yeah, it's just amazing. Yeah. Yeah, there's a little, uh, since the Illinois River is a little smaller and they're still growing in the same, in the same uh, area. area or the same speed as they do in, um, on the Mississippi River, so there's less water, so it's just way higher density. So, so, yeah. so what you're saying is, in in fact, that the Illinois River being smaller still produces the same amount of of fish as the Mississippi yes. River does. Wow, wow, that that's really something to consider because the Illinois River is quite considerably smaller than than the Mississippi River, and it's if it's producing the same amount of big head carp that the Mississippi is, it's no wonder they have so many of them. Yeah. Yep. Um, I, I never thought about a lot that. of good tributaries they really like mm -hmm. on the Illinois River too. Um, the Spoon River, I don't know if you've been over there, but they are thick. Um, I think they like to spawn back there. Now they they spawn in a lot of shallow areas, like behind wing dikes and up below dams and stuff. Mm -hmm. Is that correct? Yeah. It seems like every time I go behind a dike, you just gotta beat them out of the boat. You just you need a ball bat or something because they're just horrific back there. And um, we have been actually up below some of the dams on the on the Mississippi and looking for shad for tournaments. And when right after them things spawn, there'll just be millions of them in, in one little group. You, there's no way you could throw a net and be able to lift it up. There's just no way. There's just so many of them. 
Well, ladies, uh, you know, I, I think that we've covered about everything that I needed to, to, to go over. I, I really appreciate you guys taking the time to be on Catfish Weekly with us. And like I say, when you get some of those results, if you'll get them to me, I'll be happy to put them up. And I know a lot of people will really enjoy reading the results you're getting from your studies. And actually, if... and uh, Katie, if I, if I have more questions, I may send you uh, emails or, or message you on Facebook or something to, to let you uh, answer questions for me because sometimes after the show we'll get questions when people watch the show on YouTube and stuff, and I, a lot of times I don't have answers for them, but I want to try to get the, the answers as much for them as we can. Yep, send them, send them to us. We'll welcome them. Well, thank you guys so much, and we appreciate everything that you do. And, uh, you know, if you get some results and it's something you think we need to know about, give me a shout. We'll get you back on here and talk about that because it's a it's an intriguing uh, point that, that all of us that are as fishermen are interested in. All right. Well, thank Definitely. you so much for having us. Yeah, thank you. All right. I, I hope that you stay in touch. Definitely. Thanks for being on the show. All right, girls. Doc, that's pretty cool information them ladies got. Yeah. You know, yeah, especially what they're eating and stuff like that. Well, it is because, you know, like I, like I said, that we've always been under the impression, and, and I believe that the hotter the water gets, the better bait they make. But, you know, maybe I'm missing the boat here. Maybe I should be using them more year-round than I am. Well, I know the time I came on the Mississippi uh, – I had asked one of the locals. I was looking for shad, and I asked one of the locals where to get them at. And he told me he'd just go behind any barge, and he said, "Throw your cast net, you're ready to go." Um, he's probably still laughing about that. <laughs> that's exactly what we did, and and when we got done, we had a boatload of Asian carp, and I think we only had two shad. Right. That that's uh, <laughs> yeah. I bet he is still laughing. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, he's probably yeah, yeah. I, I appreciated the information until we let go with the net and then uh, figured then, uh oh, this that wasn't a thing to do. <laughs> I mean, we we used them. We we, cut, we only you know they had told us uh, make sure that if if we had any on board the boat that we stick a knife in them, right before we yeah. tossed them over. So, you know, we, we did exactly what the guy had told us, and then uh, uh, we kept a couple of them in there, but we caught fish on that bait, so. Absolutely. You know, I've caught good fish on them. Uh, I've caught small fish. I've caught big fish, and, and uh, I, I will tell you this. Uh, to, as far as I know, there's not a bait that will stay on a hook any better than a, uh, a piece of Asian carp with the skin still on it. Oh yeah, stuff's like leather. It, it is like leather. It will stay on, and and I know you've seen these skinning pliers that people make that you skin yeah. catfish with. Well, I don't. I'm not sure anybody uses them anymore for that. But we keep them in the boat just to grab hold of that bait and hold the line of the, the your your uh, your leader and your hook and stretch that out to where we can get it off the hook because you just can't hardly tear that stuff. Wow. Uh, it, 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 and it, like I say, it, it's good bait. Um, I, I, after visiting with with Ashley and and Katie, I, I'm going to try to uh, 
uh, have that with me every, every time out. And, and I am a firm believer in if you go to all the trouble and time it takes uh, to prepare for a tournament, that you should have every available thing that you will consider working for bait. You should have that in the boat with you. Yeah. Yeah. I always try to use the whatever the bait of choice is on anybody at water I get on. So. And anymore, that's all you ever see. I know anytime I get on the river, you know, you don't notice it until you kind of look back. And then here you see them skyrocketing out of the water. That, that's correct. You know, and, and um, uh, like I, we was talking with them on the show, I, I really believe that, that they are now a natural food source. There's no sense in not utilizing that at times on the river. Uh, in our area, especially shad, is nearly impossible to find. Uh, moon eye is is hit and miss. Um, skipjack is hit and miss in this area. Now we can get them if we go someplace, or we can purchase them. But Asian carp is readily available all the time, so there's no reason not to ever be able to have fresh bait of some kind uh, when you go out to fish. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah. Just go behind any barge. <laughs> <laughs> that's correct you know we we's talking about those but uh you know i i love them skipjack they make a great bait and and i wish that we had the access to them uh here like they do south of us uh some of the southern states they really have it going on down there and there's times of the year in our area you can get all you want and there's other times where they're just gone and i don't guess anybody has ever figured out where they go when they're not in these places? Yeah, I don't either. I mean, I've been studying for better than 20 years. And, you know, we call them the silver ghost of the river. Because one day they can be in there and they're thick. You can walk on their backs and then within a few minutes, boom, they're gone. Yeah, you know, and, and, and they just disappear. Yeah, so, you know, what drives them? What, I know what brings the bait is what brings them. What, what makes them leave? Right, you know, and, and I can understand that some of them hot water discharges, maybe that has uh, abundance of, of uh, reasoning behind that, that they're in there because the shad go up in there and they go in there to get the shad. But when the shad disappear, I'm assuming they follow them, but hell, I can't never find them either usually. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, so if, I guess if you found the shad, you'd probably find the, the skipjack behind them someplace. But Right. Uh, well, and yeah. I think a lot of the the Asian carp on the same thing that uh, uh, shad are feeding. Uh, right. Microscopic plankton. And, you know, as, as big as they grow, you know, I'm just surprised they grow as fast as they do if all they're eating is green leaves. <laughs> Can you imagine how much of that they have to ingest every day to grow at right. the rate those Asians? They must do nothing but sit there and, and feed all day long. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've seen them I've down, seen them on, down the on the at, uh, uh, in West Virginia and uh, looked over the side. You know, I'm trying to catch Skipjack, and you look over there, and you can see those guys, and uh, they're they're down along the walls, and they're doing the same thing Shad doing, you know, scraping them walls and sucking that stuff off of there. But I don't know how they grow so fast, especially when they're, uh, their eyes are on the wrong side of their body. Well, they sure are. <laughs> they really are. You know, um, 
Calvin Myers, good friend of mine, lives up around the Keokuk area. He don't live exactly in Keokuk, but he lives up there. Uh, Calvin has told me that they get in below that Keokuk dam, and they go in there and snag them things. Those big old snagging hooks out like they do for spoonbill, and they just sit there and jerk. And he, he says there's times when you can't hardly pull it back fast enough to not have one on. Yeah. And I've never done that, but, you know, uh, that would – I know that they're up there because we've had them in the boat and everything else. But uh, if they're in a place like that, uh, what I have done for the last several years, when we get a bunch of them in the boat, I'll usually just fillet off the tenderloin part of that fish. And uh, we keep um, the gallon uh, freezer bags, Ziploc freezer bags in our boat. And I'll fillet them off, and then whatever blood and juice and guts and stuff come out of them, I'll pour that in a bag with those fillets and push it down in the water because it works like a vacuum system, seal the seal it off and put them on ice. And when I get home, and them things will stay good for a long time. They're not like shad and some other stuff that uh, you really can't – they get mushy and you can't, can't keep them. Those Asian carp will stay good for a long time, so – uh, you know, if I know that there's a tournament coming up in a week or two and I'm not going to be able to get back in an area and I get a chance to get a bunch of those and I get them and I have bait for the tournament. So if I don't find skipjack or I don't find shad or I don't find moon eye or whatever it is I'm looking for, you can cut them up into little bitty chunks and you can catch channel cat on them. You can cut them into big chunks and catch flatheads and blues on them. Uh, I like to, uh, strip them out and chris used to talk about a thing when he was on the show with us he made it like a sushi roll and with those asian carp that works really good but like i say you better have a knife or some way getting them off that hook because it will be on that hook when you're done with it now do the tissues bleed out quick on them things or Yes, that's why I pour everything in the bag and and set them in there with them and just let it sit and soak in it okay because I know as soon as they hit the deck of the boat, man, it looks like somebody's cut an artery. Yeah, you know, I know. And they're slimy and nasty. Uh, you you may as well, if you get into a bunch of them in a boat, you may as well, uh, on your way home, just go ahead and stop at the car wash and, and give yeah. it a good hosing. Because That's exactly what I did. <laughs> <laughs> there's no sense having that mess at your house and, and uh, they're going to make a mess of it. Uh, you know, as soon as they get in the boat, what I normally used to do in our tracker, uh, we had a front live well that I never used. And, and I just throw them in it. And they'd flop around for a few minutes and expire. And uh, once they did, then I have a cutting board that Sydney picked up at a yard sale years ago. I don't know. It's two foot long or something. And I clip that clip onto the end of the tail, flay the sides off, pour that stuff in there in the bag and then I'll put it in a cooler and the next one comes in, I'll do it the same way. And, uh, it doesn't take very long cause you really can't keep them out of the boat. Uh, yeah. and you yeah. might as well, you know, you, you're supposed to kill them. Uh, and you're not supposed to return the water alive. Uh, and I think that's everywhere, but I know it's here in our state. So, uh, you might as well utilize them things. I mean, they done made a mess of your boat. You might as well get some benefit out of it. Uh, I, I take it that you haven't used a whole bunch of it for bait uh, over there. No, we, I've seen them on the river down here. Uh, generally when I see them, it's in shallow water and I don't fish that much shallow water. I'm staying out on the ledges and stuff like that. Uh, but you know, it, it doesn't, they don't, they're thick down here, but not near as bad as they are up in your area. 
Oh, well, it, not that we want the market cornered on them, but we seem to have it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that see, I can slide behind the barge, <laughs> and I can throw cast ass, you know, gathering shad or stuff like that. And every now and then, I'll catch an, an Asian. Um, we get a lot of drum, like a lot of quillbacks in behind the uh, barges and that. You know, um, speaking of quillback, I don't believe that I've ever caught one or ever used one for bait. But the old F and F boat I have, the boy that bought that for me, uh, grew up over in Illinois. He now lives in Bowling Green, and and he used to tell me that that was his best bait. That if he could find them, he could catch fish. Yeah, I've used, used them. Uh, I like to use them a lot. Uh, <laughs> stick a hook in their back. Uh, they are flathead candy. And and how big do these quillback get? Can you give, uh, elaborate on that a little bit? Because I'm not familiar with them at all. They they look like a, like a carp, uh, and they got that on their back fin. They got that long quill, and uh, you know I just hook them in the back, drop them out, you know, up against wood or anywhere where I I got a feeling a flathead's going to be, and. Uh, you know, the, generally they'll suck them down real quick. Well, I, I'll have to try to get some of them. I, I know that I've tried to. Terry had told me about Terry Clendon. He's a boy's name, and and he had told me about that several times. And I never have been able. I, I may have got them and didn't know that that's what I was getting. I, I don't know. But if I get uh, get some of them, I'll try to keep some of them. Are they like carp? Are they easy to keep alive for time to come? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're they're real. <laughs> Uh, well, that's uh, kind of like I fish Portsmouth, Iowa, and uh, in the area that we launch at is Shawnee State Park. <laughs> a lot of times when I'm throwing the cast net for shad in the marina area, a lot of those quillbacks will be in there. Well, that'd be that'd be good because you know um, I I like to use uh, bluegill and I like to use big bluegill but I like bullhead too if I can come up with them um, but I, I'm anxious to try one of those and, and I've got guys that I know that that fish quite a bit uh, specifically for flathead and they're telling me that they'll use carp this big for bait for flatheads yeah and, and that's a huge piece of bait you know when we was I like to use a bluegill, but I don't want to use a big bluegill. I like those ones that are about two inches long. It just seems like when you stick a hook in them, uh, they just sit there and pulverize that line down there. I mean, they're just going everywhere where the bigger ones have a tendency to just kind of sitting down there. I know a lot of guys use bullheads. I don't like using bullheads because it just seems like they don't want to do anything. Uh, if I use them on the river, they just lay on the bottom and, and there's no, you know, the rod sitting in rod holder. And I want to see that rod tip just bouncing away where they're down there struggling. I don't see that when I'm using bullheads up here. Well, now let me ask you a question. Uh, when you're using your live bait and your flathead fishing over there, uh, you toss that baby out now. Granted, a lot of the water that we fish are, it has more current than where you're probably at. But when that tip of that rod starts dancing around, that's telling me that there's a flathead getting ready to have his dinner, and that bluegill or whatever it is is trying to find him a place to go. 
you know, well, most of the time what I've seen is that they'll slap that rod down a couple of times. You just see a couple of quick hit, 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 and then it goes kind of slack, and then you see that slow takedown that you like to see, and you say, uh-oh, you know it's on then. <laughs> That's correct. Bobby Vargas says live white perch is his favorite bait for blues. Um, and I'm sure he's talking about freshwater drum, you think? Yeah, I think that's what, you know, everybody has a different name for everything. Right. Depending on what, what area of the country. Well, if they make good bait, that would be the only thing I can see they're good for. I absolutely uh, have caught some big old drum, and I've tried to use them for cut bait. I didn't have any success with it, but that may be on account of being in the Mississippi River. But, uh, you know, them things – they're not as plentiful now, I don't believe, as they used to be in our water. But we was um, at a tournament a few years ago, and there were several of us that knew each other parked above the dam. And uh, the fishing was a little tough that day, and I put two of them white perch in the, in the boat, and them guys that I went to school with rode me like a horse over that. You would have thought that nobody ever caught a white perch but me that day. I mean, they just, we got to the way in, and they're they telling everybody down, they just hee-hawed about that, thought it was great fun. And, uh, you know, that's okay, boys. Uh, your time's coming. Yep. One of the other things that we've caught a lot on the Ohio is eels, live eels. Now, my boy don't like <laughs> things, but, you know. Yeah, me either. If he's, if he's on board with me, I think he is not. He won't even go near it. He sits there and starts shaking over snakes. Now, do you have a lot of eels over there? They wrap themselves around your arm and they're all slimy. Oh, they're disgusting. Do you still have a lot of eels over there? I've caught some on cut bait when I'm fishing, especially in the springtime of the year on the Ohio. I actually haven't seen any, or, or personally, I haven't caught any in several years. Uh, uh, but we used to get them, I'm not going to say every time we went out, but we get them every three or four times you get out, you get one in there. And, and the, the thing that I can tell you about eels is don't never try to dip that one. <laughs> because they'll get in every hole in that net and wind themselves up in there and make a big old knot out of that thing there. They're just they're just nasty, and you're right. They'll slime you, and you can't hardly get them off of a hook without grabbing a hold of them. And uh, they're they're just disgusting. But uh, I understand uh, you get them big ones. They say you chunk them up, and they make some excellent catfish bait. That's first. That's the first thing I do. I swing them on board, and I just I you know take the knife to them, just start chunking them up. <laughs> now, do you do them like you do? Uh, uh, Cut bait some big yeah. chunks or all small chunks or no, usually you know one to two inches, just you know chunk that body up. Most of the ones that I've caught are probably a couple inches in diameter. You know, mm -hmm. you know just and and I know some that I've I've seen. Uh, I seen one guy catch one who was on board my boat. It was like thirty some inches long. Oh man, yeah, that's so a giant. We made him into two inch pieces real quick. That that might have been a Boone and Crocker style, style eel. Yeah. yeah. You might have, you should have mounted that thing, Doc. Yeah, well, no, he was bait. <laughs> <laughs> the, other thing, the other thing we catch a lot. Well, actually, Lynn and I haven't caught a lot of them in the last few years is uh, soft-shelled turtles 
Boy, there for a while, man, that's all we were catching on the Ohio. Oh, man, I, I got to tell you, uh, it hasn't been probably six or eight years ago. Um, we couldn't go fishing if Cindy didn't put one of them to boat, at least one. And and I'm not grabbing them because them things are pissed when they get on that hook. Now they're just, they're, they're, I just whack the line and turn them loose. And she's always trying to pull them over the side of the boat. And I said, no, 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 don't you put that thing in this boat. But uh, you know, she was the the turtle queen for a long time, and now she hasn't had one in years and years. And I'm so happy I don't lose any hooks and and don't have to fight with them things. But man, they're you're right. It kind of goes in spells. You either got a bunch of them, one right after the other. You don't have any. And and I guess the last one that we had uh, was probably up at Jerry's when we was up there in Wisconsin fishing, and I had a big one on up there in, in the Cherokee Lake. It was a giant. I think she actually got a picture of that. I hope not, but I'm pretty sure she did. But, uh, uh, man, that's... Uh, I've been thinking a lot about Jerry here lately and them big channel cat they got up there in Mendota and Cherokee. Oh, man, I wish it wasn't so far for me to drive. It's a pretty good trip for us, but I'm telling you, once you get there, it's a trip you'll never forget. Oh, yeah. It, it really is. I uh, I wanted to uh, mention uh, on our Catfish Weekly group page, we uh, Chris always used to talk about uh, the people posting their pictures, and I've slacked up on that, and, and uh, maybe I shouldn't. But uh, things get hectic around here, and uh, we've had some ish health issues with some family members and been gone a few days and different things went on. But uh, Aaron Foster caught a really good mess of, of eating size fish and posted the pictures on the Catfish Weekly page. Mike Lancaster caught his first uh, catfish of the year, and he put that picture up. And Colby... Wattring, I believe is how you pronounce that name, caught a 68-pound blue. He was with another gentleman, and they caught that, and they posted that picture on there. Fellas, thank you guys so much for putting those pictures on there. We enjoy them very much. Uh, everybody likes to see the pictures. If you get small clip videos, go ahead and post them on there. And if you get any pictures of youngsters with their fish, we love to see those kids' pictures. And the women, too. You know, everybody likes to see the pictures of the fish, and they don't have to be giants. If they're big, that's great. But if they're small and you get out to go fishing and you're proud of your catch, get that baby up there. We want to see it. It's, it's awesome. And thank you guys for doing that. Uh, really neat. I, I think we had a really good show tonight with Ashley and Katie. Doc, them, them girls really work hard, and uh, I know you haven't seen them in action when they go to these tournaments, but what they do is amazing, and, and uh, I consider myself a very careful person, and I was, like anybody else, I'll drop a fish sometimes, or it'll get away from me, but these girls bear hug them fish just like us guys do. They make sure they go in that tank with oxygen, and they take them down to the river, and they release them, and they're carrying them and taking care of them just like they would a baby. I mean, uh, these girls do an outstanding job doing those studies, and, and uh, people don't understand how important that really is to, to all of us fishermen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we hope Chuck gets his tower up. Uh, he had messaged me sometime before the show and said that uh, they had lost the tower, and he lost his Internet and his phone service. And he had one bar if he walked up the hill or something that he was probably getting off of a different tower. So he was in trouble tonight. And, and uh, I was glad that you was available to jump on here and help me with the girls because, you know, we really needed to get that 
information out uh, to people. Uh, if if we didn't get anything other than the fact that we should be using Asian carp for bait year-round, uh, if they're eating it year-round, we ought to be able to catch fish off of it year-round. Right, right. Yeah. Well, it was kind of interesting. One statement she made was uh, that uh, they found out that they're eating zebra muzzles. Um, I have actually had people tell me that they I, muzzle beds is something that I never know if I'm seeing on a depth finder or not. But I've had guys tell me that they have anchored over top of muzzle beds or, or uh, spot locked and caught fish off of them before, and them fish should be just rounded up full of them things. Yeah, yeah. I, I've seen a lot of it in my live wells. Um, Spitting them out? Yeah, where, you know, while they're in the live well, all of a sudden I got a whole bunch of <laughs> shells in the uh, live well. I know when I was in Alabama and Tennessee in these areas, uh, I'll have to show you sometime what it looks like. On it. I've got it down, what it looks like, on at least on a Lorance. And I, I really target those uh, muzzle beds. No, you know, they, I mean, they get down in there and root. Uh, Lynn and I found one accidentally below Wilson Dam uh, <laughs> when I went to pull the anchor up, and uh, we had one attached. And it wasn't a it wasn't a it wasn't a zebra muzzle. It was one of them big, big muzzles. Huge. Really? Yeah. So I say, oh, so we went right up there, anchored down. And we caught a couple of thirty pound blues right off a of bat, just fishing right there. Wow. I lose a rod back there, but yeah, I did. It fell off while I was spinning. I get that up there. That's going out of here tomorrow. That happens sometime. It's only been on there about six hours and just now fell off, so I feel pretty fortunate about that. Yeah, I know when they're eating those muzzle beds, they sound like maracas when you go to pick them up, especially <laughs> if you put your hand under the belly. I have a tendency to put my hand under the belly and kind of support them, and you, know, and you feel that those things in their bellies. I think that that's a, a, a good subject that we ought to get into on the show some night is the correct way to measure fish, the correct way to to hold them, uh, and, and on those big fish, you should always put your uh, hand or something under support that snow. Them, them things get such weight, and, and uh, everybody grabs by the jaw, and, and you got to have a way of controlling that fish. But if you can get your hand or your arm or something underneath them to support them things, it's a lot easier on them fish. Right. Uh, uh, you know, we had um, – an issue, uh, Claude Reynolds had sent me a message and then he posted a, a thing on there where they had a uh, uh, a guy at the boat ramp, him and I guess it was Justin Browning and four or five others was at this boat ramp discussing uh, this benefit tournament they got coming up. And a, a guy come down through there and he was diabetic and, and uh, his sugar level jumped really low, which is a subject that's very dear to me. And he run his truck off in the water, and them guys got him out of the truck and got the truck and stuff out, and they called the tow truck and got it. Everything turned out all right. And I want to commend these guys for making sure that they got that guy taken care of. I mean, uh, I'm very uh, pleased the fact that all them guys was over. And I can't – I'm sorry, fellas. I can't remember all your names. But the fact that they – 
bailed in that 40 degree water and got the guy out and got him to safety and, and hooked up to his truck till a tow truck got there and made sure that, that he didn't do anything. And, and uh, we had someone on the show sometime back that was talking about that. And I, I, I forget who it was, but they said that they always kept candy bars and this and that and uh, sugar pills and things. And, and, when you go with somebody, if I go with you, now you probably already know it, but I'm going to tell you that I'm a diabetic and I have candy bars and stuff in, in my tackle bag or whatever with me, and, you know, just in case because things happen. And most of the time, uh, a guy that's a diabetic uh, has been that way long enough that he can tell if something's coming on and get it taken care of, but not always. Sometimes it just jumps on you so fast that you can't react fast enough. And that's, that's the reason you tell people. And, you know, that's, that's like my shoulder. Uh, you know, since I had that shoulder surgery, they put me on a restriction where I'm not supposed to lift over five pounds with that arm. Now, uh, for a long time, uh, I didn't catch any fish that would ever worried me, you know, but, uh, right after that surgery, I would get in a boat and I fished a lot of tournaments with Keith Atkins and I'd say, Hey Keith, you know, I'm just going to let you know up front. If I get a good one on and I can't control it with this arm, you'll have to get it in for, well, nobody ever said, no, I can't do that. You know, <laughs> everybody always agreed to, but you know, Cindy and I fish so much as she knows if I get in trouble, she watches and I watch her and, and, uh, you know how it is with, with uh, somebody you're really familiar with you fish again. If, if I get in trouble, she's there to make sure that I don't get in trouble. And, right, and right. the last thing you want to do is, is have something happen while you're, while you're fishing and, and ruin a good day out on the water. Right. Right. Well, you know, Doc, this has been a, a really good, uh, really good evening. Um, Carl Garner sent me a message on Facebook, says he regrets not getting to talk to you at the Catfish Conference in Kentucky. And, and, and I'm sure a lot of people are, are that way. Uh, you know, there was, I can't tell you how, that was such a great event. I, I know that, that you feel the same way about it, but that Catfish Conference is one of the greatest successes that uh, has been put together for the catfishing world in a long time. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I really, really enjoyed myself down here. Uh, oh, I did. I, I did had, too. Had a good time. It was nice walking around, uh, <laughs> meeting people. You know, the biggest highlight for me uh, was when James Patterson came up to me, and oh. uh, you know, at I, first I didn't recognize him. You know, because I was I was standing there talking, and I turned around, and he goes, "Are you the world famous Doc Lang?" And I said, <laughs> as soon as he said that, then I realized who he was. <laughs> and, you know, uh, me and James go back a long ways. I mean, you know, he, he, he was kind of my idol uh, when I was fishing on the river and fishing with tournaments because his, uh, his partner was uh, Harold Dodd. I know Harold very well, one of my favorite people of all oh, time. Man. Those guys were so hard to beat. And, you know, it's like, you know, so I was in there, I was trying to pick their brain all the time. So uh, it, it was really cool seeing him and a lot of the people. And, and I liked the seminars. I didn't get to see all the seminars, but now Douglas has put them up on the internet. So now I can sit back and I can look at them because I was looking at uh, Mark and Ryan's the other day because uh, I'm still trying to figure out ways how to beat that guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I was pretty disappointed that I didn't get to see uh, 
him while we was down there at the show, but he did e send me an email right after that. And he said, Hey, I don't know how we missed each other. He said, had I had known that you was up front, I'd have went up front and then sat down with you for a, an interview. Cause I tried to get him to do an interview on, uh, with me and, and, and he's, I'm not real computer technical, but he's less technical than me. And, uh, you know, he don't have the stuff and it's not interested in getting it. And there's a lot of people like that. And, uh, but I will pass on a little bit of information with you. Um, after the the episode over there in Indiana with them guys having that guy getting the water on them, uh, we had talked to Jason Bridges uh, several times over the years about uh, getting on and doing a safety show. Jason had a problem where he actually fell in the water, and there's nobody gets on the water anymore. Jason, probably nobody any more careful than him. But things happen, you know. Right. Uh, and being a Coast Guard uh, approved licensed guide which every guide should be if you're not you're, you're not doing it the right way. But anyhow, Jason uh, has uh, – I sent him a message today about doing this safety show, and he's going to try to figure out when he can get back on. We interviewed Jason down at the conference, and part of the audio was missing off of it, and that was my fault because I didn't have it turned on, actually. But uh, regardless, he's going to – I think he would be a great asset to do a show on safety. I don't think we'd find anybody any better – to do that with and somebody that's had those experiences and knows what you should and shouldn't do. So uh, if he can pick a timeout when he's not doing a baseball or bad football uh, deal with his son and he gets a Monday night, he's going to try to get on here and do that with us. And uh, after the trip, he did, he did tell me that if nothing else, he could do a little singing and dancing on the show for us, doc. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Boy, it's a shame only a few of us got to see that, but that yeah. was a trip. If I, it was. It was quite comical. Now, Steve had mentioned one time that he had video of some of that, and, and I haven't seen it, but I really think that he ought to have, uh, enlighten the world with that and share it with everyone because that was about as good a time as you can sit by a swimming pool and not get wet. Yeah, and, uh, I mean, there was another Fred Astaire in the making right there, buddy. <laughs> I mean, he, he, he definitely uh, – he definitely had the moves. He does have the moves, yeah. And, and uh, you know, that was a great night down there. You know, there were several of us, Vince and you and Lynn and, and Jason, his wife, and Cindy and I, and I forgot what Carl Morris was through there and a couple other guys. You know, we had a really, really good time at that uh, pool site at that motel and, and uh, thank them guys for letting us have that because they're supposed to shut it down. And, and they knew we weren't going to be swimming and we were just going to be sitting in there uh, having, having fun, and they allowed us to do it two nights in a row, in fact. So that was really outstanding of them to do that. Yeah. The second night was really good, though. That I mean, Jason and his wife were really – I mean, they were out there. Boy, that, that was something. It, it really was, you know, and it was quite comical. And, you know, Steve and his wife, Melissa, they, they was great fun down there. You know, and I've told Steve this, and I, I told Steve right in front of his wife, if there is a better camera person in the catfishing industry right now than than Lisa is, I don't know of any. Lisa Douglas does some of the finest video work uh, in the catfishing industry, and maybe 
maybe a lot more than the catfishing industry, but for sure in the catfishing industry as there's done. And uh, I'm not sure if Lisa fishes is all, but her and Steve work very well together. They produce some great videos and, and uh, it's outstanding that, that they get those projects done like that. And, and Steve put all that time and effort into that catfish conference. Not, I never heard a crossword the whole time we was down there. Everybody had the greatest of time. And to be quite honest, I'm looking really forward to the next one. Yeah. And uh, I think the next one will be even bigger because there was so much positive that came out of that. I agree. And, and um, uh, you know, the, the word goes around and this guy says one thing, this guy says another thing. I don't see how they can do it again in one day. I think it'll have to be a two-day event. And I'm not making the decision, and I'm not suggesting that. I'm just saying if it grows as much between this year and next year as it did in the two-month period of time it took them to put it together, that it'll be huge. Yeah, yeah, especially if you get uh, more people doing seminars and stuff like that. You know, um, I didn't get to see any of those. Now, I have watched uh, all of the seminars that Steve posted. Uh, very good information. Carl Morris uh, had one of the best preparation seminars or shows that I've seen. That was outstanding. Uh, the one, uh, uh, ah, damn. David and Brooke. Well, David David Brooks was really good too, but but David done that one on live well presentation. That's something that needs to be out there. That was quality information, and, and uh, you know everybody thinks that they they know what needs to be put out about live well information. That was good stuff, and I'm not saying it's a hundred percent fit all situations. But what he does is worked, and then they come back and put together a video of their live well in their boat. And it was outstanding, yeah. you know, outstanding. Yeah. You know, it's really live well right there. Yeah, yeah, right. everything's right there, and he made it to where you could access anything. To if if something goes wrong, it, it's really and Teresa explained everything. Hell, just like she'd have done it herself. I mean, they them two done a really good job with that. Yeah, you yeah, know, everybody did a real good job. So, of course, you, you can't. You know, that, that conference was a lot of people were visiting with each other. A lot of people were buying stuff. Never seen so many rods come out. You know, we <laughs> thought it opened up at nine o'clock, and we got there right at nine o'clock. And as I'm trying to find a place to park because there was no place really even close by, we had to go up on the hill. But I know I saw people coming out of there with rods in both hands, right <laughs> and left out of that place. I'm, I'm going, wow. And then when we walked in, it was already packed. Yeah, when we walked in. You know, and they, they done a really good job of setting that up and putting everybody in the places that they did because even though it was busy and full, it wasn't terribly congested. You could still get no. around and maneuver around and, and get along just fine. And, and mm -hmm. uh, you know, I talked to Jerry Klein and Joe Lucky and, and uh, Josh Mays and, and my old buddy over there from Springfield, Illinois, and they was talking about, uh, Jason, they was talking about uh, at 9 o'clock, they were supposed to open the doors. And at nine o'clock, one line of rods they brought with them was already sold out. Right. Before the show was even supposed to open. Yeah. And it's just some of the guys were coming in to set up and people just followed right in behind them. And they did. You know, we was talking to people while we was setting up for the show. We was visiting with people while we was getting that all set up and ready to go. And, and uh, you know, I was glad that it was such a success. I'll tell you something that was one of the 
uh, more impressive things to me was that vacuum sealer that Carl Morse had. Yeah. yeah I had never seen anything like that before. Yeah, that, that was pretty impressive. It really was, and and I wish them guys great success with their venture. I know they'll do really well with that. But uh, that vacuum sealer now, it 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 saves it all. There ain't nothing nothing left. You're not going to lose anything with that. It's just a great product, and and uh, it'll pay for itself many many times over. I'm I'm sure. Yeah, I think well, those, uh, I think the uh, merchants that were all there, you know, selling their stuff. I think they did real well too. I believe they did. No, I, I don't think so. Pretty high. One of the things. One of the things. I know it seemed like Dave Ashby booth was really busy, but one of the things that that uh, I noticed was uh, uh, several of the tournament directors had booths set up, and I think that is a great thing. Alex Nagy come all the way from uh, the Warsaw, Illinois. Uh, I know that. Uh, uh, Chad Wall was there. I know that Ken Freeman was there. I, I can't name them all because I I only Josh, got to go back. Josh was, that? was there. Josh was John Vano. That's right. You know, now I didn't get to go through there, but when we took a lunch break for a short period of time because we was running interviews in and out, and, and I missed a lot of the stuff that went on in the back, uh, and I wished I'd have got to spend a little more time in there. But, you know, we wanted to do the show, and it, it seemed like everybody – was happy to be on there, and and I know we missed getting you and Lynn on there, but you know we'll we'll make that happen the next time. Yeah. But uh, you know I I can't think of anything in the catfishing industry that was more of a success than that conference was, and I was so glad uh, to be a, allowed to be a part of that. It was just outstanding. Yeah, uh, I I was very impressed with it. Well, Doc, we're running on about an hour and 15 minutes. I think we'll call it a show for tonight. I can't thank you enough for dropping in and helping me out with this on such a short notice. Uh, you know, things happen from time to time, and it's great to know that you uh, will assist if one of us needs help on this because it's, you know, we've got other people, but, you know, you can't imagine how many messages I got that says, why did you cut that show off at an hour and a half so we could listen to Doc all night? <laughs> Yeah, I do like to talk. So, <laughs> well, you know, when we get down to Memphis that tournament this fall, uh, we'll get you and Lynn on down there at the pyramid, and we'll have a nice visit with you guys. And she's, you're going to have to make her commit to that, though, because she she'll, doesn't she'll want do it. it. Yeah, she'll do it. Oh, that's, that's great. You know, she was all set to do it at the conference, and uh, but every just time we walked work. up, there, either you guys were gone or somebody <laughs> was talking. You know, Teresa. Uh, always told me that she she just wasn't ready to do one, and and uh, she come in there with Janet and done a really nice interview. Now they wouldn't tell me the secrets I want to know about the film, and that's okay. But Teresa and, and Janet done a really good interview, and and I assumed that she might have been a little bit camera shy or whatever. But the the deal that she done on that live well thing, I don't want to hear that stuff out of her no more. Next time I ask her, I want her to just jump right up there and get involved because she done a really good job with that. Yeah, that was really good. Well, listen, Doc, thanks again for being on the show. Uh, appreciate all your help. We'll do it again real soon, I'm quite sure. And for Doc Lang, I'm Lyle Stokes, and thanks for watching Catfish Weekly. Hey, when you guys watch us on YouTube, hit that like button and leave us some comments. We like to know if we're doing the show right. Thanks again.